Good morning, church. Uh, I'm going to be reading from Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 32. So I'll give you a minute to either open your Bible app or open your Bible into the, <laughs> to that passage. So that's Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 32. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute, forever you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what, everyone, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover land. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of the house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to that land the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. 
and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. All right, good morning. morning. Happy Easter. I'm going to do it. He is risen. Okay, there's a few church people here. Well, good, good morning. Good morning. Hey, if you don't know me, my name's JT. I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. I am fired up. I'm going to have to keep, keep calm because I'm going to start. You know, for those of you who know me, when I get excited, I talk really, really fast. So I got to stay calm because I'm just really excited about today um, because it's Easter Sunday. And not only that, because God has answered prayer in major ways. Um, one, with the weather. Do you know we had three outdoor events every day this weekend? Friday night, we had good, good Friday. That was awesome. If you weren't there, it was three other churches. There were people everywhere. It kind of felt like the New Testament if you were there, didn't it? Like everybody kind of sitting out on the hill with me at the bottom. I kind of, I mean, I'm not going to compare myself to Jesus. We're not doing that today. But like, I kind of felt like Jesus preaching to the crowds, preaching to the masses. It was awesome um, just to worship with other people and to show you we're, we're unified in Christ. That's the thing that unites us as a church. It's not my church or Freshwater Church, but Jesus's church. So that was awesome. And then who... Make some noise if you were there yesterday, Saturday. We did an event at John B. Hughes. The outreach team just did an amazing job. And we, like, of course, for me, the thing I was most concerned about is we played basketball, right? That was a blast. But we had an Easter egg hunt and a cakewalk and prizes. And we had the youth division. um, And my daughter got second place in the youth division basketball tournament. And I went out first round. I guess I'm not a basketball player anymore. Anyway, but we went out to John B. Hughes and a bunch of people came out from the apartment complex and hung out. We played basketball and we ate pizza. Man, it was just such a good day. I'm not just saying that because I'm the pastor. I have to make it sound good. Like I actually stayed an extra hour and a half to play basketball and my knee is just barely holding up today, right? I'm like limping around, but oh my gosh, it was just so fun. And the guys from Victory Mission came over and we just played ball and we hung out and man, it was a great time. So I'll do what, Corey? Oh, I forgot about our real champion. Holy cow. That's what I called him first thing this morning. Um, it was, a, it was a pig tournament. Do you know who won the adult division of the pig tournament? Our own Deacon Larry Boyd. Yeah. He took down everybody. Like, I, it was amazing because he played my wife first round and took her out. But like they, it took them forever to finish the first pig game. Like forever. Like I, Larry couldn't make anything. Neither could my wife. I love you. You're, you're amazing. <laughs> But then Larry caught fire, and he took everybody down one at a time. It was, it was just a great day. And then I know, since you're sitting in the sun, it's like perfect out here right now, isn't it? You know, so I'm, I'm preaching kind of over here. This is a weird experience for me. But anyway, it's just been an amazing weekend. We prayed for good weather. God delivered in major ways. So I'm really excited today. I'm excited for Easter. This is going to be a good day. Um, not only because it's Easter, but as, as you just, we just read, today we're talking about the Passover which what we just read, this is not an overstatement. I know I exaggerate. This is not an overstatement. What we just read is one of the most important passages in the entire Bible, right? This, there's so much that comes with this passage. And let me tell you, it fits 
perfectly with Easter. Perfect. And you know what the best part of that is? Once again, I didn't plan it this way. Because at the beginning of the year, we shook everything up. We did a series and not, nothing lined up like, like it should. And so about a month ago, we redid our, because I, I have all, the, all my sermons planned all the way through Exodus. We really have all the sermons planned through the end of the year. And so we had to change up the whole schedule. And when I got to Easter Sunday, I realized that we were on Exodus 12. And it is the perfect passage for Easter. And do you know that that's happened the last like three or four years? For those of you who've been around, do you remember that? Like the last three or four years, we've been in the middle of a series, and I planned to do a standalone series, and we had to shuffle, we had to end up shuffling the schedule, and then I looked at it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, the last three or four years, God has just aligned things perfectly without us planning it, which makes it even better, because I'm sure it's just a coincidence, right? Yeah, co- coincidence. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, and I love it, because in the end, here's what I want us to see. I want us to see that in the end, the Exodus and Passover story is really the Easter story. It, it really is. And so we're going to get there here in a little while. And so I see a lot of new faces, a lot of family that's here um, with your family. So grateful that you're here. I'd love to meet you after the service. But let me just very quickly, and I mean that, catch you up to where we are. Like, as you can see, we've been in the book of Exodus. We're doing a series on the book of Exodus. And if you haven't been with us, um, we're, we're at the point where we've seen um, God's people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, same thing. They've been enslaved by Egypt. And then they cried out to God and asked God to help them. And so God has promised that he's going to deliver them from that slavery. We've seen God send the reluctant Moses and his brother Aaron to go to confront Pharaoh again and again to tell them to release them from this slavery. And then we've seen Pharaoh again and again and again refuse to do so. Really lie. Say, yes, I'll let them go. And then go back on his word again and again and again, nine times, ten times, in fact. But what we're really seeing today, what we've really been seeing through this book is God evangelizing his glory to the world. That's what the book of Exodus is really about. God evangelizing his glory to the world. Because we focus on the plagues and there have been these miraculous plagues and judgments against Egypt. If you're not familiar with the story, like to try to convince them to let God's people go, it's, it's been turning the water to blood and frogs and locusts and hail and all of these nine different plagues to show that God is going to have his people let go. And that's a big part of it because God through that has been displaying his glory and his power to Egypt and to a watching world. But listen, With all of these plagues, with all of these judgments, with all these huge miracles that God is doing, God's not doing this because he needs attention. You think God needs attention from us? That's not what this is about. This is God evangelizing to the world. Because as far as we know, at this point in history, in ancient history, the Israelites are basically the only faith in the entire world that worships one God. Every other culture, every other civilization, they worship multitude of gods. Polytheistic is what it's called. And so they have basically a God for everything. They, they pray to every kind of God imaginable because they want those gods to save them and provide for them. So they've got gods for their kids. They've got gods for the harvest. They've got gods for good weather. They've got gods for everything because they want to make sure they cover their basis for whatever God it might be that that God might save them and provide for them. So what's been happening with each subsequent plague, God is systematically destroying the reputation of the supposed power in Egypt, these so-called gods. And with every one of them, he's just been attacking their power and attacking the power of Pharaoh to show the world that there is only one God that saves. There is only one God that truly provides for his people. 
Because scripture teaches us very clearly that God gets no joy out of people perishing and that he desires all people to be saved. So these plagues, these judgments against the sins of Egypt are God evangelizing to the world, not only how serious sin is, and especially the plague today, we get to see just how serious sin is, but even more importantly, how willing God is to save people that place their faith and their trust in him alone as the one and only God who is Lord over all creation. This is God evangelizing to the world. And so today, as we read, you see that we're getting to the 10th and final plague against Egypt. And, and really, that's where this part of the story is going to come to a close. And we're going to move on to the actual exodus next week, which is, I'm excited about too. But, but not only that, um, what we're going to see today is God fulfill what he said he was going to do, fulfill a promise. Because back in Exodus 4, 22 through 23, before, before Moses actually even came back to Egypt, God says, said this to Moses. He said, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So two things from this. First, I love how God describes his people. And it's relevant to the plague today, isn't it? If you think about what he says, he describes them as their firstborn son, like all of Israel, because in the ancient world, the firstborn son was extremely significant. They were the ones who carried on the family name. They were the main inheritor of the family's name and the family estate. And so the firstborn son carried special significance. And he's saying, these people are my firstborn son. These people are my heirs. They're my family. It's God declaring to Pharaoh, watch out what you do to my family. And then if Pharaoh does not let God's family go, the consequences of his sin, the consequences of his disobedience to God is going to fall on the, on the head of Pharaoh's very own family and the people that he considers his family, the people of Egypt, as God will take their firstborn sons if he doesn't relent and let his people go. And I also want you to remember the context. If you weren't here at the very beginning of Exodus, the Pharaoh started to fear how large the Egyptians were getting. And so what did he do? Do you remember? He started kill, killing their babies to stop their growth. Like this is not like some good guy, Pharaoh. This is, this is someone who's done evil again and again and again. They started killing all of the sons as they were born, told them to kill them or then throw them into the Nile. And so this is God bringing back on their own heads the things that they have done. This is very much God bringing the consequences of their very own sin on their heads. This is not God repaying evil for evil. This is God bringing righteous retribution against the people that have shown that their entire system of religion, their, their entire leadership structure, including their leader, and even their economy that has been built on the back of God's people by enslaving them is evil. And it's an evil that God is saying, I am not going to stand for any longer. And the consequences are going to be, are going to be dire. Let my people go. So today, let's just, can we just be honest? We're going to look at one of the toughest passages and toughest, by, by far the toughest plague in this whole thing. It is tough. I mean, this is, this is going to be a terrible day that we're talking about. But through it, God is going to quite literally show us the consequences of sin. Right? Scripture lays it out very clear that the wages of sin is what? Death. And no, I don't know that anything in scripture shows that more clearly than this plague. After God warning and warning and warning and warning, it comes to the end. The wages of sin is death. And we're going to see that today really clearly. But in the end, I think what, what God's going to show us is the message of this plague is not judgment and death. That's not the main message. It's grace. It's grace. 
the grace of God to provide salvation through faith and sacrifice. That God will provide salvation for his people if they have faith through sacrifice. And so on this Easter Sunday, if we were going to sum up the whole message for today that I wanted you to leave with today, it would be three words, faith and sacrifice. That's where we're going today. Because this story, this moment in Exodus is a defining moment for the entire rest of the Bible. It's a defining moment for our faith. And it's a defining moment for God's plan of redemption for the entire world throughout history. So in the end, as I said before, the Exodus story is really a story that's pointing to the Easter story. So what I want to do is I want to dive back in, and I want you to see it for yourself. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 12 and read verses 1 and 2 with me one more time. Exodus 12, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. All right, we're just going to talk about this very briefly, but do you see the significance of that? Do you see how huge this is? What God is about to do, the Passover, right? What, What God is about to do, the miracles he is about to perform are so important, so integral to what it means to be an Israelite, to be God's people, that he is telling them that for this, from this point forward, with what I'm going to do today, your entire year from here on out is going to revolve around this thing. Right? He's telling them very clearly that everything in your lives are going to revolve around remembering what I'm about to do and who I am. That, like, that's kind of crazy if you think about it, isn't it? Like he's changing their entire calendar to be centered around this because it's just that important. And then again, he tells them what this thing that their whole world is going to revolve around, and that's the Passover. So let's read about it again in verse 3, and this time we'll read through verse 14. Exodus 12, 3 through 14. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, which will now be the first month of the year, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old, You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning, you shall burn. In this this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. 
I know I've said this, but what we just read right there is one of these defining moments in, in, the, entire, in the entire Bible throughout all of Scripture. And so what I want to do, I, I say that, but I want to walk through it, and, and I, I want us to see why. So we're going to look at some of the details of that and talk about the relevance of it. Because you read something like unleavened bread. Why does he keep talking about unleavened bread again and again and again? And it's like, what's the significance of that? Well, I, want, I want us to all understand it because it is significant. It's really significant. So we're going to talk about the details, and then we'll get to why all of those details matter so much. So first, they had to take a male a year old. A, a year old lamb, or he said, take it from the goats. They didn't take, God didn't have them take the female goats because they use those for breeding, right? And so he said, take a, a male, a year old without blemish or any kind of defect, meaning one as perfect as possible. And then on the 14th day of the month, they were to kill it. All of Israel all together were to kill their lambs. Now, and then it said, it starts talking about the family. Well, if the family's too big, well, what it means there is if the family doesn't have a lamb, or if the family's too small, maybe they have got one kid, right? Or if the family's too small to eat an entire lamb, Israel families are then to get together with their neighbors or get together with their greater family and eat this thing together. And that accomplished two things. It actually, that actually mattered for two reasons. One, no food was to be wasted. As much as possible, they were not to waste any food at all. You know why? Because God didn't want them saving anything back. Because, you know, at that time, salt was a preservative, Right? And so that any meat that was left over, they would salt it and they'd have it for a while. And God's saying, no, 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 I, not only that, I, I want you to cook only what you need, but if there is anything, I want you to burn it. Do you know why? He wanted them to have faith that he was going to provide for them, right? Because all the rest of the world had all of these different gods that were, they had to sacrifice all these different gods or do all these different things so they would be provided for. And God's saying, hey, I want you to eat this lamb. Only take what you need, burn the rest, because after this, I'm going to set you free. I want you to leave and I don't want you to take anything with you. I want you to trust me in faith. I want you to have faith in me that not in these false gods, but in me as the one and true God that I will provide for you. So it's very significant, significant that they, he, God doesn't want us to waste anything. He wants to, to take care of our environment and nature, right? But also he, he wants us to trust him that he's going to provide. And then secondly, maybe most importantly through the rest of Israel's history is this represented solidarity and family among God's people. The Passover meal was very much, much meant to be a shared experience, a memorial day that all of Israel, every person participated in together so that for generations and generations, they might always remember what God has done and who he is, that he is the one and only God. And we're going to see, if you read the rest of the Old Testament, they struggled with that, didn't they? They struggled with remembering who God is. They struggled with remembering that he is the one and only God. They struggled to keep their worship on him and him alone. And so God gave them the Passover meal so they might remember as a people, as a family, that he is the one and only God and remember what he did for them. And then I don't want to jump ahead too much. I don't know if you picked up onto this, but it's also a beautiful picture of something else that's going to come into the future, the real Passover meal. And what's that? The Last Supper, Communion. Right? This is pointing forward to the, the, the fulfillment of the Passover meal. There's a reason that we don't celebrate Passover anymore because communion is the fulfillment of Passover. We, we, what we did on Good Friday, eating the body and drinking the blood, like we, we have that communion meal together to, to remember what Christ did for us. Right? That's where, even what we're celebrating on Good Friday and Easter, to remember. So we do Easter every year to remember what God has done for us as a family, for his church. So even this is pointing forward to a really important things. Now, why did the lamb have to be without blemish? It's because the lamb was a sacrifice. 
I know we know that reading the story, it's a sacrifice, but something we've got to remember if we're going to really understand what the gospel means. So from the beginning, the Bible says that to pay for our sin, there has to be a life taken. It takes blood for our sins to be forgiven. Sin is so serious to God. It is such cosmic treason to God that the Bible just clearly communicates the wages of sin is death. We make light of it now, right? But if you actually had to do a sacrifice to atone for your sin and had to see that play out, do you think you might take your sin a little more seriously? Right? God takes sin incredibly seriously. The wages of sin is death. So for our sins to truly be covered, for our sins to truly be atoned for or paid for, there had to be a sacrifice. We call that a substitute. Or here's a big churchy word. You ready? I've said it before. Substitutionary atonement. We need a substitute for us to atone for our sins, to stand in our place. That's what the lamb represented. It's where we get the phrase sacrificial lamb. Have you ever heard that? Well, he's just a sacrificial lamb. They're making him the sacrificial lamb. It came from this, right? It came from this. And because God is holy, like listen, perfectly holy and righteous and just, the sacrifice had to be as close to perfect as possible of, as a reminder of two things, of God's holiness and our reminder that we need forgiveness because of our lack of holiness. By God's law, we are to be holy and we not, aren't holy. And we're, we're to be, the wages of sin is death. We should, God should, without his grace, we would die because of our lack of holiness. So the lamb had to represent us so to be as close to holy as possible. So the lamb, although not fully perfect, obviously, was God's mercy, Right? It was just God's mercy on his people so that his wrath and judgment for sin might pass over us. Make sense? Right? This is a huge deal. And listen, I know you don't get all the sacrificial lamb stuff in this story. I think the people of Israel probably understood what was going on here. But as we go through the rest of Exodus, it's made very clear when the law comes that the whole sacrificial system is set up on this thing. Substitutionary atonement. Sacrifice to cover our sin so God's wrath will pass over us. Now, that's kind of what's going on. Can we just slow down for a second and try to picture this? I've done this a couple times in Exodus. Like we just read this like a story from 3,500 years ago, right? Ancient text. And we're just kind of like, oh man, yeah, that's what happened. But can you imagine being in that moment? Like try to picture what it would be like for you and your family to have heard this, to, for you and your family to have been slaves in Egypt for a long time to the most powerful kingdom in the world. Can you imagine walking through that with your children? And then after being slaves for so long, only knowing slavery for a while, how hard would it be for you to actually start to believe that you could be set free? But what if you watched God do miracle after miracle after miracle? Not only that, the most powerful kingdom in the world, the most powerful empire in the world that, that can stop anyone that supposedly has the most powerful gods in the world. They're try, Pharaoh's trying to stop this. His magicians are trying to stop this. His holy people are trying to stop this. And they, they have no ability to stop what's going on. Can you imagine watching this play out? Well, as you're, you're, as you're in Goshen, the Israelites were protected, watching all of these plagues fall on the Israel. You can imagine how you go from a place where you have almost no hope. We're slaves to the most powerful kingdom in the world to each plague, your help growing, your faith and your hope growing and growing and growing. Can you imagine what that might feel like to actually experience these things? Maybe you'd start to actually believe. 
And then Moses tells you that the tenth plague, about the 10th plague and how serious it is, but that you and your family can avoid it if you step out in faith and do the things that God's asking you to do. Can you imagine sitting down with your family and trying to explain this to your children? Trying to explain the consequences of sin and in particular Egypt's sin against them and how serious God is taking this and seeing it play out and explaining that to your kids? Trying to, to, to explain to them that God takes sin so seriously that Egypt's firstborn sons are going to be killed? Might change how we view things. And then trying to explain to them, look, kids, like, we're not sinless either. We're not perfect. Like, we've sinned against God too, but God loves us so much. They're seeing how serious this is, but you get to say to them, God loves us so much that he's provided a way for us to be safe from this. God wants to save us because he loves us. And to be saved, we have to kill one of our lambs. I wonder if that was traumatic for the kids. We have to kill one of our lambs. And by the way, you... you can you imagine taking a lamb for a slave, a slave to have to give up one of their lambs, and not only that, their most perfect lamb? It would have been incredibly costly. And again, it's a reflection of just how costly sin is. God wants us to understand the cost of sin. And so can you imagine with your kids explaining that to them, and then with them taking the blood and putting it above your doorpost, above the lintel, and telling them if we perform this sacrifice, if we do what asks God, ask, we do what God has asked us in faith, that his judgment will not only pass over us, but we will be delivered. We will be delivered from this, the kingdom of slavery, this kingdom that we've been enslaved, and we will truly will be delivered into a different kingdom, a promised land that God is promising us. It'll be the kingdom of God where he'll be our king. We just have to do this in faith. We have to believe it's a lot. But can you imagine explaining this to your kids and the weight of that night, how that would have felt? To know that this plague is coming, yet God wants to save us. And not really because of anything that we've done, but just simply because he loves us. And if we trust him in faith, he's going to do all of this for us. Can you imagine the weight that night would have carried? This was God showing his power, but also making it very clear to his people and to the watching world that salvation comes through him and him alone, and that that salvation comes through sacrifice and faith. Do you know, even the meal, and this is where we're talking about the unleavened bread, you know, even the meal was to show the people that this was about faith. You know, even at this time, people didn't really eat unleavened bread. Have you ever eaten unleavened bread besides at church to do communion? Like every once in a while, right? But people don't really eat unleavened bread unless they have a particular reason. They, they wait for it to rise with the yeast, with the leaven. They wait for it to rise because it's just so much better and it's so much more filling, particularly for say, slaves. They wouldn't want something as filling as possible. You wait because it's better. But God is saying here, I don't want you to wait for the bread to rise, right? I don't want you to have to go fetch water because they would have had to go fetch water, right? I don't want you to go have to fetch water and bring it back and boil it and cut the lamb into all these different pieces and boil it in the pot. No, I want you to roast it whole over a fire. Why? He's saying, I want you to do this as quickly as possible. I want you to be ready to go. Not only that, as you eat the unleavened bread that you didn't wait to rise and you cook the whole, the whole lamb because I don't want you to wait to cut it up and do all the, the work of it. I want you to have your staff in your hand. I want you to have your travel clothes ready. I want you to be ready to walk out the door right when I tell you to walk walk out the door. This was all about faith. Faith that God would provide. Don't wait. Be ready. It's coming. Don't miss it because I'm coming for you. 
Everything was centered around them having faith in their God and God showing them, this is what true faith looks like. This is what true worship of me looks like. You trust and you watch. Here we go. Can you, again, one more time, can you imagine the power of that moment? for your family, with the blood on the door, the meal cooked and eaten with the family next door, with your neighbors all talking about what's getting ready to happen, everyone with everything packed, with their staff ready to go, everyone ready to walk out the door, believing God would fulfill every promise that he has made to them about deliverance and salvation. That would have been a powerful night. That would have been an unbelievably powerful night. This is the Lord's Passover church. This is what, what it meant to them and to every faithful Jew that, that celebrated this over the next 1,500 years. Because here's the thing. This is why this is so important, not only because of what God's doing, that's the most important thing, but the reason that God is setting this up as a thing, beginning in their year with it, saying this will be for you, for every generation forward. They want every generation to remember. It's because we forget, don't we? Are, you, are we not just like the Israelites? God can do something absolutely amazing in our lives. Right, something he just makes it clear that he is with us, that he is for us, that he answers prayer. And we'll be fired up about our faith. We'll be fired up about God. But then what happens a year later when something happens that you don't understand or don't want? What happens? You forget. And I forget. We're, a year ago, we're like, man, I could never stop believing in this God. He's amazing, man. Your faith is rock solid. And then a year later, something hard happens and you don't understand. And maybe you're even angry about it or you don't know what to do with it. And you forget the Passover meal every year as a family, as a congregation, all of Israel together was so that they would not forget. So they would not forget who their God is, what he has done and what he promises to do for those that have faith in him. It's a reminder that God always keeps his promises, that he's always there for his people, and that he delivers his people through faith and sacrifice. Sacrifice. He brings salvation. That's what this is about. We could read the rest of the chapter again, but really verses 14 through 28 for the most part are really Moses just reiterating to the people what God has told them, to, God has told him to tell them. So God tells them. So then let's skip down to verse 29 and read that one more time. This is the last plague. I want to look at the, the plague of the firstborn one more time. Exodus chapter 12, verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both of you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. From the greatest to the least, no one escaped this awful judgment. Because here's the thing. No one's innocent. No one's innocent of sin, are we? We're all guilty. And they were all guilty. God, God not holding us accountable for our sin is not because we're good people. It's because he has mercy on us. He chooses to have mercy on us. He provides a way for him to have mercy for us in, through faith. And so no one escaped this awful judgment because they were all guilty. God's wrath only passed over those with the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. 
And what was the result of this terrible? I mean, this is, we can be honest. What was the result of this terrible thing? Pharaoh finally, finally let God's people go just as God said he would. They are set free from the kingdom of slavery in the kingdom of Egypt to go dwell with God and be his people. Listen, after this, they're leaving. Next week, we're going to talk about the Exodus. They are leaving to be a new people under the lordship of their forever king in his kingdom. Church, the rest of the Old Testament, if you don't know, the rest of the Old Testament talks about and goes back to this point again and again and again. Do you know why? Because it is the story that shows us who our God is and what he does for his people. That he is a God of salvation. That he is a God of deliverance. That he is a God of hope and a God of promise for all that have faith in him. The rest of the time, the rest of the Old Testament, the Jews hold on to this as a memorial of God delivers his people if they have faith in him. It shows us that in God's beautiful design... And I love this. This book is really about God's glory. And this story shows us that the, the, the declaration of God's glory to the world, God designed it to be intertwined with the salvation of his people. That's the God we serve, right? He's proclaiming his glory to the world. But intertwined with that is deliverance because it's just who God is. But even more than that, and that's why we're coming, this is where we're coming to, to a head today. But, but, but more than that, this story foreshadows this story points to, this story is a prototype for the actual greatest story ever told. Because even though the Passover lamb protected them from God's wrath, protected them from God's wrath for sin, did the lamb protect them from, from their sin from that point forward? Right? Did, that, did, the, did the lamb cover their sin from that point on forever? No, right? If you know your Old Testament, because they, they had to do sacrifices again and again because that lamb was as perfect as possible. It was without blemish as much as possible, but it wasn't perfect. That lamb was not holy. So the people would have to sacrifice again and again and again for God to pass over their sin. That's what the Old Testament law was set up on. That, that terrible and beautiful day when God brought his wrath against Egypt, which is the terrible part, and God delivering his people, the beautiful part, what God was doing was he's actually pointing to the answer for the problem of sin. And lambs were not the answer to the problem of sin. The, the original Passover wasn't the answer because the lamb couldn't take away all of their sin, but it was whispering to what actually would be the answer. 1,500 years later or so, the true answer came, didn't it? the actual sacrificial lamb, born to be like us in every way, but in the end, in a lot of ways, not like us at all. For he did what none of us could do. He lived a perfect life, right? Holy and righteous. And he perfectly represented the image that we were created in, the image that we are meant to reflect. He perfectly represented the image of his father. Everything that the lamb couldn't be, everything that we couldn't be, he was church. Because he's risen, he is church. He came, listen, Jesus came. I want you to think about this. He came knowing that the wages of sin is death. He came knowing the full implications like no one has ever known. He knew the full implications of his father's wrath for sin. His terrible wrath for sin that we see displayed in this terrible plague. He came knowing about our sin and that we have rebelled against God and he knew what we deserved, yet he still came. And that's the true beauty of the real sacrificial lamb, isn't it, church? 
Isn't that the beauty of what we're celebrating on Easter? Jesus knew what it would take for our sins to be forgiven. He knew the true devastation that it wrought on us, that it wrought in the world, that it wrought against the glory of God and against his name. He knew what it would take to save us from the slavery of, of sin and death and deliver us as new people into the kingdom of God. Yet he still came. That is the crazy thing about who your God is. The story of Exodus is the story of Easter because this moment in Exodus is giving us a beautiful picture of how God would once and once and for all truly forgive and make his people clean through, through sacrifice and faith. It took a terrible day for God's people to be delivered in Exodus. It was a terrible day. Guys, and in the same way, it took a terrible day 2,000 years ago when Jesus, the only one who ever, who ever deserved only glory and honor and praise, went to the cross and gave his life and shed his blood so that he could be the perfect sacrificial lamb so that we might be saved. So that God's wrath would once and for all pass over us. But just like the story of Exodus, that terrible, terribleness led to a beautiful thing, didn't it? And it led to incredible beauty for us, the deliverance of his people in Exodus. For what we're really celebrating today is not the fact that we have been saved by sacrifice from the slavery of sin and death, but that we have been delivered, church. That's really what Easter is about, not just the cross, but that we have been delivered, that we have experienced our own Exodus from the kingdom of slavery of death into a new kingdom, into the kingdom of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Easter is about. And that's really what Exodus is about. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the declaration of, to the world that sin and death could not hold him, had no power over him, and so he rose from the dead. And if we have faith in that truth, if we believe that that sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice, truly was enough for us to be forgiven that our old, and that our old selves died with Christ, we are raised. Listen, that's what Romans 6 says. We are raised with Christ. We share in that resurrection with Christ as new people, forgiven people, people with our sins washed clean, and that our old selves have died. We're new people that are called the sons and daughters of God with his own spirit living inside of us. That's the beauty of the resurrection. Freed, listen, hear me, freed from the slavery of sin. You are not a slave. Hey, listen, if you're here today, and maybe even you got a past like Corey, right? That Corey used to be enslaved to her past, right? And some of us, whatever sin we brought into this room, we feel like we're enslaved to, I, I hear people say things like, all, all like, I'm just this kind of person. I, I just struggle with this thing. It's just who I am. No, it's not. If you're in Christ, it is not who you are. You are a child of God, freed from slavery. You have had your exodus. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. I know he accuses you with things you've actually done, but Jesus says, I know what you've done. I've provided your exodus. You're no longer a slave. Be free. You have been resurrected with me. Be free. So be free, church. God made this all possible through the sacrifices of his own son. So through faith, we can share in the power of our risen king. What a beautiful truth. If we could only walk in the freedom and joy of that. So today, hear me. If you don't know Christ as your savior or you're not confident, he gave his life on the cross so that you could be set free from your sin 
so that God might no longer see your sin, but see his perfect son life, his, per, his son's perfect life in you. Listen, that sacrifice can change everything about you. I'm not saying it's going to change your personality, but man, you being guilty, you having shame, you walking in sin, you walking in evil, you feeling oppressed, you feeling hopeless. God can change all of those things by washing away your sin. And then by his resurrection and by you sharing, listen, you sharing in that resurrection power, he will give you a completely new status with God as a born again child. That's what the Bible means when it says born again, that you die with Christ and you are born something new and he will call you his beloved. He will call you a person of blessing. He will call you his own child with an inheritance waiting for you in heaven. That's what this is really about. Hell on one side, the wages of sin is death. And not just death in this life, eternal death. Or you can have life, eternal life as an heir with God, inheriting everything that he promises. And what that comes down to is faith. I don't mean blind faith. We'll walk through all the reasons that God is true and right and logical. But it comes down in the end. In the end, it comes down to faith. Faith that God truly is who he says he is. Faith that God truly is the one and only God in this world. Faith that you believe that you are a sinner and you are in need of salvation. And faith in the fact that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb that died on the cross for your sins and then was resurrected three days later in power to set you free. That can be yours today. Romans tells us that if you can believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You can be saved today if you believe. If you're here today, are you ready to confess and believe that Jesus is your Savior? He died for you. The King and the Lord of all came down out of heaven and died for you so that you could be set free. You can confess that today and you can have salvation. If, if, if you want to talk about that today, if you want to walk through that today, please come find me or find somebody else in our church that you know loves Jesus and that cares for you and let them walk through that with you because everything is on the line. The plague shows us today how seriously God takes sin. And you do not want that God against you. He, will, he doesn't have to be against you. He can be absolutely for you forever. And what you have left is freedom and blessing in him. And for, for the rest of us, for those of us here that believe, today we are celebrating a story 3,500 years at least in the making. The story of Exodus in the end is the story of Easter it's God declaring, God evangelizing to the world that he is the one true God, that salvation and deliverance and freedom only comes through him. We don't have to have the Passover meal anymore, church, because we have communion. We have communion, what we did on Good Friday, to remember his blood, to remember the blood of the perfect sacrificial lamb, to remember his body that was broken to take the wrath of God on the cross for our sin. That is our Passover meal. We still celebrate it. We'll continue to celebrate it. And it's why we're celebrating Easter today. Easter Sunday is the ultimate fulfillment, our ultimate celebration of God's Passover for us as he passes over our sin in Jesus Christ. So as we leave today, church, as you walk out of here today, church, as you celebrate with your family, remember what God has done to set you free. Don't just go and have another Easter meal like every other Easter meal. Actually remember what he's done to set you free, to deliver you, to give you a promised land, a kingdom where you will dwell with him forever and ever as heirs of the promises. Because in Christ, church, you are a forgiven people. You are a resurrected people because you are God's people. So walk 
in that hope, church. Walk in that joy, church. Walk in that freedom, church. The freedom that comes with being called a child of God. Happy Exodus. Happy Passover. Happy Easter, church. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that your glory would be made renowned in our lives and in our church, in this neighborhood, and in our city and throughout the world. God, how amazing is it that you tied your glory, your glory going forth to to salvation, intertwined with the salvation of your people for all of us that believe in faith. Jesus, today we thank you. I still, God, Jesus, I dwelled on this so much, dwelled on you understand just how good your father is. You understand just how good heaven is. You understand just how good, real, and true, and pure love is. Yet you came out of all of that and you stepped into flesh. You became a servant so that you might show us the way, teach us, point us in the right direction, and then die for us on that cross, knowing the consequences of what you were taking on on that cross. Jesus, it's amazing. Jesus, I I feel weird saying this to you after all that you've done, but help us. Help us not to forget what you've done. God, we're so fickle. We run this way and we run that way and we forget. Help us not to forget. Help this story, the greatest story ever told, the good news, the gospel. Help us to never forget it. Help us to never stop preaching the gospel to ourselves so that we might remember that we are forgiven, that we can move forward, that we can be set free, and that we can have joy in this life no matter what comes because we have you. Jesus, thank you for sharing in your death and in your resurrection with us, washing away our sin and creating us something new as your brothers and sisters, as God's children and heirs of the promises. Oh, Jesus, we're so thankful that you did not stay dead, but that you have risen, that you are alive, that you have ascended into heaven, and that you're returning again for your people. God, we pray for that day to come. We're ready, God. Come now. But until that day, help us to take seriously the thing that you've called us to do. We see from the story of the plague how serious sin is. And there's people out there that don't know you, Jesus, that they're walking in their sin and your father's wrath is against them. God, help us not to forget that the time could be short. You could return at any time. So we must tell people about you. We must tell people about this good news. We must remember who we are, your disciples. Help us to remember Jesus. Help us to take that seriously, Jesus. Help us to have a desire to tell people about your glory, your name, and your gospel. And help us to walk as resurrected people in freedom and joy and hope. We celebrate you on this Easter morning, Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.